This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks. So, I mean, this is why this stuff to me is fascinating. We're hearing it right from the banksters, the international... uh, the international bankers, ladies and gentlemen, and we see the little power struggles going on between the private and the so-called public sectors. Uh, let's continue here with Chris from the International Monetary Fund. I am on the view that we need banks as intermediary between money and investments, your savings and investment somewhere. Whether it is in the traditional money world, the fiat currency world, yeah, or in the new digital world, we need specialized institutions to make sure savings can work for growth, for jobs. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it is impossible to have um, retail CBDCs. I just, I personally don't quite see why should we do that? Why do we want central banks to venture yes. in, in a world Certainly where not in, in, in well-established yeah. economies. That's a question. What, yeah. what would be the purpose? But, you know, back to your question, I don't think it's public sector. Okay, hold on. So you've got Chris there from International Monetary Fund asking why the central banks want to venture into the retail side of the business. Now you're going to hear Axel from Bank Suisse representing the private sector, the commercial banks speak. Central banks versus commercial banks. I think it's a really collaborative effort in this regard. Yes. Everybody yep. has to play a role. So, for example, we were with you at that was called Project Jura. Uh, working together on the wholesale central bank, Helvetia with the Swiss National Bank, we see that is absolutely feasible. Uh, it will give great efficiency gains, but we also get a sense of, you know, we all have our legacy IT environment, and that will take a lot of time until yes. we go there. On the retail side, even today, most banks. Okay, so what he was saying there on the wholesale side is that they have this legacy infrastructure. And so he is in favor, representing the private sector commercial banks, in favor of a wholesale CBDC. But it's going to take some time to actually put it into place because of this legacy infrastructure, right? And that's where I said uh, consensus. Now, in the partnership with Visa, that's mainly working on the retail side. But companies like that are coming in to build the technology on top of the existing infrastructure to be able to allow the transactions using central bank digital currency. All right, let's continue. It's offer you multi-currency credit cards where yep. you can have basically at zero transaction costs. You can mm-hmm. settle your bills in various currencies. So there's a lot of development ongoing, but I would caution it will take some time. There's no silver bullet. How long? How long are we talking? Uh, in the case of the ECB, the- All right, so now we're going back to Frank 
from the Bank of France and the chair of the Bank for International Settlements. There's a precise answer. We will have the prototype till the end of 23 or early 24, and then we will decide and take three years if we have a broad euro. So it could come end 26, yeah. early not. 27. <laughs> I don't know if it's good news for Axel, but it could be good news for euro area citizens. <laughs> okay, so this guy now just said there, as far as retail goes for the e-euro, this will be the CBDC for the euro, is that their test is going to be rolled out 2023-2024. And once they have the test results back, it will take them three years to roll out the full-blown, you know, mainstream retail version of cbdc for the e-euro so he's saying end of 2026 beginning of 2027 now my personal belief on this uh if we're going to go off of the timelines that we see with a lot of the other projects related to the false industrial revolution which this is all part of it because what they're not talking to you about is all the retail transactions that are going to take place inside of the metaverse inside web3 that's going to be huge all right so right now uh, ethereum is used for a lot of those projects but as they push us further into this metaverse world and that is for you know our kids our grandkids that's all going to be done with cbdc all right so they need to have this part done and my guess is they are trying to hit a goal of 2030 all right, 2030 to have this rolled out, at least widely accepted. My guess is probably get rid of cash, uh, paper money, by 2030 in at least all of the major countries. I would say the 105 to 112 countries that are working on research and development, various stages of that and deployment. Um, the other countries, I think, that don't play ball, and I don't see why they wouldn't play ball. If they have a central bank, then they're going to get on board. But if you remember, going back to the original Technocracy Incorporated documents specifically discussing the energy certificates, as it was detailed out in the 1937 document, they talk about that any uh, country, continent, technate is what they would call themselves, this piece of land going from Panama up to the North Pole, any other one that doesn't play ball with the energy certificate system, which I believe is the basis for what becomes carbon credits that Wide Awake Jim will talk about, which will become sort of the basis for central bank digital currency, then they are just cut out of the equation. They're not allowed to play ball. It's like putting sanctions on Russia or North Korea. That's what you're going to see happen. So the people who don't get on board, who don't adopt it, the stick for them is that they just aren't going to be allowed to play ball. They won't be able to get money. People won't be able to shop there. As you see, uh, I believe it was Chris from International Monetary Fund said you could put into place certain measures, like, for instance, a non-citizen could not carry U.S. CBDC. So you already see the way that this is going to work. And yes, it's a combination of laws and regulations and policies, and then the technology, and then the international, you know, central bank, world bank consortium. You know, it's all these pieces coming together. 
And so even here with this illusion, this quasi-technocracy we live in with the illusion of representative government, you still in a way have to get the elected puppets, the WWE wrestlers that we call congressmen and senators, on board to pass these uh, regulations uh, no, I mean uh, laws, and then they have to come up with regulations and committees, and then the executive branch, the president, you know, they, they come up with regulations and how to govern all this. But those guys are paid off. They're owned by the banks. It's very easy to get that done. As I said in yesterday's show, passing a law to be able to do something now is more of a formality. That's how I see it. All right, let's continue, folks. I want you to come in here because, I mean, of all these things that we're discussing, you know, again, you have real-world experience too, and I, I read your entire report on the wholesale, the retail, the, the fast payments, everything that you've gone through, and, and the thing that leapt out at me, and it goes back to remittances. And also, what is the, the problem that we're trying to solve here? Yeah. Who is the ultimate beneficiary? Mm-hmm. You know, do we need to get involved and add more layers or less layers? Um, you found a, a 50% reduction in cost, um, and it took 80% less time to settle transactions. Because this is another thing, you know, you try and send money abroad and great, but it takes five, six days to mm-hmm. settle. And, mm-hmm. and Christine, this is personal for you too, because you know, you have family in Ukraine that you, you use payments to send to too. And you know, again, another thing I won't forget, you know, this is not the Holy Grail, but, but, but are we, are we, by any means, um, are we at least answering the right questions mm. in what we're asking here? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know this is a panel on CBDC, and uh, like I said, we've done a lot of fair amount of work on it. We'll yeah. continue to do so. Um, but I have to say that uh, there's a lot to be said, and there's probably good return on effort from trying to improve existing infrastructure and yep. putting in things like fast payment systems. We, we've, we've, we've had pretty good success uh, with putting in a fast payment system. We have a prompt pay system we put in place. We have a population of 60, uh, 70 million, sorry, and they're about you know, 60 odd million uh, ID numbers. Um, uh, now it's like 40, 40, 40 plus million transactions a day. It's grown like fivefold over the five, past five years. And one thing that's been wonderful um, is 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 the benefits of inclusion. Um, so we have now um, associated with that like QR codes for merchants. Right. Mm. There's 7.2 million uh, QR codes. So now we have like sidewall vendors. You know, on their carts, they have a QR code. You know, and you, you know they can get payments uh, uh, very very efficiently. Mm. So so we, we've we've got. I think fast payment systems are are can give you a lot of. It, it's a low hanging fruit and give you a lot of. Right. So now he, he's talking about. And sorry to video stalled out there for a second but um you know he's talking about just these fast payment systems and being able to transfer money faster and now everybody's got qr codes on the side of their hot dog stand over in thailand or whatever their cat stand dog stand whatever it is they're eating and so we see that now here in the united states i've been telling you that uh a number of restaurants here in frederick county are now putting a qr code on the table you scan that it opens up a menu and then you actually pay right there and then some busboy instead of a waiter taking your order the busboy comes and he um and he pays uh, and he brings you your food right so this is what they're talking about just moving into the world here of more technocracy now when you're scanning the qr codes on the side of that guy's uh, hot dog stand is that being tracked more than before if you were paying him with cash yeah because if it's with cash nothing is tracked 
nothing is tracked so they're just adding levels of technocracy in my opinion that are slowly driving you deeper into the technocracy you know one day i'm going to pull up some emails i have about 10 years ago uh it's just a personal story it's interesting about 10 years ago i ran into qr codes and no one had heard of them. And the issue at the time was that the uh, Android phones, the Google phones, and the iPhones did not have a QR reader built into the camera. So now on an iPhone, you open up the camera, you put it in front of a QR code, it automatically pops up the link that you click and will bring you to the website or the app or whatever it may be, uh, push you towards that action, right? Well, back then it didn't happen like 10 years ago, but I ran into these. And I pitched it at a couple of investors that I knew back then. And I said, listen, I think we should get in the QR code business. I was in marketing then. And I said, you could be driving down the highway. There's a big QR code on a billboard, or you could put the QR code on your business card. And you didn't have to actually have it as a square. The way the QR code works, you could have it in the shape of a logo. It just has to have enough of the data inside of the design, inside the logo it pulls up. So I found this little company who had a QR code processor. And so you would put in, for instance, your domain name, like say like pain.tv slash gold, and it would print a QR code for you digitally. And you'd pay for it. This guy had, I don't know if there was an international QR code database or something. And you would pay whatever, $25 or something. And you would own that QR code that links to that specific address. And so I talked to him and I was trying to negotiate a buyout of his little company. He was just kind of a little tech nerd, a uh, guy in his garage. And these investors said, oh, no, nah, you got to download an app to use it. All of a sudden, COVID land, the high school theater production comes out. They roll the QR codes out everywhere. And these th all three investors not connected today. They're not working on projects today. All emailed me in the first like two weeks of COVID land. And they're like, oh, my God, we should have did that project. Well, I said, yeah, we'd probably be billionaires. <laughs> we'd probably be billionaires. But then again, I've missed about nine opportunities like that in my life so far, ladies and gentlemen. So there they go. You got this guy here from the Bank of Thailand talking all about QR codes. Ladies and gentlemen, when we get back from this break, let's try to finish up this panel discussion so we can move on to another one tomorrow. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard. Scan my QR code, ladies and gentlemen, and you'll land right over at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. And we are rocking and rolling through this World Economic Forum. June 26, 2022, Central Bank Digital Currency Panel Discussion. And folks, if you're not listening to this back in June, it doesn't matter. This stuff is evergreen. It's important. It fits into our larger investigation, not just on central bank digital currencies, not just on universal basic income, but on the technocracy and transhumanism overall, the world, the system, the culture that we live in today. 
that we live in today. And so if we want to be able to navigate this system, if we want to truly understand the system that we live in, this government that we live under, we have to break it down and analyze it. And that will allow us to make better decisions to decide how much of this we're willing to put up with to figure out if we can live one foot in and one foot out of this matrix prison planet and how we're going to do that. Uh, and take the interests of our family, you know, into our hands and be able to navigate this system and to hopefully be able to thrive in this system, not just survive in this system. But there is no point in lying to ourselves. The prison planet wardens, the social engineering class, has already decided that they are going to move us deeper into a technocracy. Almost every problem you see people talking about is a problem created by technology. And yet the solution to the problems created by technology is always more technology. It's never less technology. No one ever offers less technology. It's always more technology. Technology will continue to create more problems and allow the technologists and the transhumanists and the technocrats to offer technology as further solutions to the point in which we all live, those of us allowed to live, will all be locked under a prison planet slave system. And those who don't get to live obviously don't have to deal with it. But many others will be turned into transhumanist cyborgs, if not engineered out of existence altogether. All right, let's continue with this discussion here at the World Economic Forum. And even on the cross-border side, one thing we did um, uh, about a year ago was we connected it was, uh, the fast payment system of Thailand, prompt pay, with the one in Singapore, uh, PayNow, mm-hmm. is the first um, fast payment linkage in the world. And, and now, you know, you can send money. Um, if I know, like, someone's mobile number in Singapore, I can send it pretty much instantaneously at very low fees. Whereas before, you had to go to the branch and fill in forms, and it would take you, like, three days to, and, and, and a lot of money in terms of fees to send the stuff. So, so there's a lot that you can do with the existing infrastructure, existing technology, I mean, and improve it. The, 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 and it depends the on where you are in the world, because I think this is important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you know my fear? I, we went through a stage, and you'll remember it, in, in financial markets where if you added Bitcoin or something to your name as a, as a company, your share price would soar. <laughs> and, and when I see and read that 90% approximately of looking at this, and I just wonder whether it's sort of almost the fear of, oh my goodness, if we don't, look like we're mm. investigating this, we're going to lose ground to private companies or we're going to look like we're idiots or, you know, almost the stage we have to talk about something and think that, look like you know what you're saying and doing even when you don't. And, and so that's my fear in, in this sphere is it's sort of, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Are there solutions? And, you know, we, we're sort of trying to make it, and maybe this is a media problem, at one of them, mm. um, that we make it into an uzzle then when it doesn't have to be. You know, in the end, we're trying to help people. Mm-hmm. It's not about the public sector, it's not about the private sector, it shouldn't necessarily sure. be a race. There's a, there's a good way to do this, and, and I guess the hope is that we're, we're, that's the direction we're headed in. Oh, don't worry, folks. No, just in case you were confused, the uh, mainstream media folks, and this woman, Julia, is also a uh, banker, folks. She was a banker. Um, the mainstream media, specifically CNN, because that's where she's from. She's also on CNBC. 
Uh, and the World Economic Forum was hosting this, and the central bankers, which two of these gentlemen are, and the Bank for International Settlements, and the International Monetary Fund, and um, and this gentleman from the commercial bank from Credit Suisse, don't worry, they're just trying to help people. They just need to get that message across. It's not a competition between the so-called private sector and the so-called public sector. Well, of course it's not a competition. They're here at the World Economic Forum, the Chamber of Commerce of the public and private sector partners of technocracy. Of course, it is not a competition. No, they are working together to help people. They love you. I mean, if you haven't figured out that the bankers and the governments and the mainstream media and the international bodies and the private sector commercial banks, if you haven't figured out that they love you and everything they do is for you and they wake up every morning to serve you, then I hate to tell you, you're just stupid. You're stupid because these people love you, folks. And you know one of the running themes of this show is they don't love you, folks. <laughs> they don't love you. All right, let's continue. Are we? I guess so, yeah. I mean, you see it on who's sitting on that panel. I truly don't see that competition at that point of time. And you were a lot of critical on, on retail uh, uh, central bank digital currencies. I think in well-established economies and so on, you really need to wonder what is the purpose or what is the real benefit in other countries or in geographies where you know they are very broad and vast that may, might make a lot of sense so I believe here as a kind of uh, there's no no right and wrong answers let's see how things are evolving and they emerging and look we as a bank we are fully aware we need to we need to reduce transaction uh, cost we need to make things more accessible be more inclusive make it swifter make the user uh, the, the experience experience usage much more friendly so we are all fighting on that because we are in a competition with other banks so do you think it's an existential crisis for banks um i don't think we feel it that way but i would say yeah you need to be part yep. of that yeah. you need to know the strategy and your way forward because otherwise you, you can get sidelined very quickly sometimes it takes two three years and then you wake up one morning and say oh the world has changed and that was not part of it Right, so there you go. There's Axel from Credit Suisse talking about how they understand from the commercial bank, so-called private sector side of things, that they need to get on board with these technologies, with the new way of thinking, possibly with central bank digital currency, because they could wake up in two or three years from now, they're just sidelined, and they didn't stay ahead of the curve. They didn't adopt all these new technologies. This is why I say we live in a culture of technocracy. Uh, because these guys could never, even if they wanted to, and I don't believe they do, but if they ever wanted to say, listen, we're going to go back to the old way. We want to have a checkbook and people balance their checkbook by hand with a pen. They're not going to do that. We're in a culture of technology, folks, a culture of technology. And every solution that comes is going to be more technology, never less technology. And the further we move forward into this technological hellhole, the more we bring on the technocracy, the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. That's what all this is really about. That's what this monetary system actually does. 
You know, they had control over everyone with the fiat currency systems. But at the end of the day, you and I can still transact with cash. All right. So even though they distribute the cash and they could change the value of the cash through inflation, through deflation, through interest rates, they can change the value of the cash, but they don't know where I'm spending the cash and they don't know when you're receiving the cash and they don't like that. They want to be able to track all of it, but it's because they love you, ladies and gentlemen. They just want to be able to stop you from buying donuts, you know, when they deem to be appropriate. All right, let's continue. Can I just make a point very quickly? Then everybody can come in. Because for the Bank of Thailand, you've said, look, no, no private companies are going to be involved in, in crypto. You can invest as a private investor if you want to in we, digital We don't assets. want to see it as a means of payment. Yeah, yeah, but as a means of payment, you're saying, uh-uh, it's us or, or nothing. Yeah, I mean. Okay, so she asked him there, uh, Bank of Thailand, Seth, uh, he's the head of their central bank in Thailand. She just said, you guys have already decided that cryptocurrency, right? So they're not talking about central bank digital currency. They're talking about cryptocurrency will not be allowed to be used as a form of payment. It will be CBDC or nothing if there's going to be a digital currency. All right. So that means that uh, private companies, let's say, I don't know, I have an e-commerce store that sells uh, seashells. I cannot accept Bitcoin, Ethereum, or whatever, any of these cryptocurrencies. But if they roll out a central bank digital currency on the retail side, I will be allowed to accept that. It's all or nothing. All right, let's continue. I mean, it's all central bank or nothing at all. Let's continue. Um, again, uh, crypto is, is, is regulated by the SEC. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's for, for us, it's fine if you want to invest in it. Uh, caveat emptor and all that. Yeah. Um, but uh, we don't want to see it as a, as a means of payment. Um, is that the because way the whole world's headed? I guess this is my question. Sorry, you can... No, no, just because it's not appropriate for the reasons we decided. I mean, we, I mean we've, we've discussed it, yeah. but is that the way the whole world's headed? If there is a ceiling, which I believe will be the case for retail CBDC, it will be mainly a means of payment. I do agree. It, it, won't, be, yeah. it won't be an investment. Can, can I... Okay, so let's just uh, stop right there for a second. So now you've got Frank over there from the Bank of France, right, from the Bank of France and chairman of the uh, Bank for International Settlements. And he says right there that if there's a ceiling, right, on what CBDC on the retail side is actually going to be, he says it's going to be a form of payment. That's it, a form of payment. It's not an investment, not an investment. Right. So it's not going to be an investment, it's just a form of payment. So he puts that right out there. As you see, uh, the European Union is moving forward to this e-euro. So it's very important to listen to this guy. So he's saying it won't be an investment. It will be a form of payment. Let's continue. And one word. Jula, can I add one word about your question of timing, which is absolutely key? Yeah. We central banks have a bit more time than the private sector. <laughs> it's an advantage, but we should not abuse this advantage. <laughs> uh, it means that not all innovations are perhaps welcome in the long run. But CBDC is not the only innovation. We cannot say the only innovation which is interesting is ours. Mm. If it's felt this way, it would be, it would be a catastrophe. So uh, I really think that we have to reconcile two completely opposite worlds, which are stability and innovation. Mm -hmm. And Okay, okay. Just so you get that clear. 
he's saying right there that the central banks have more time than everyone else, right? They have all the time in the world. They control the monetary system. He's saying they have more time. Now, he's going to bring up what we talked about in the beginning of the discussion as we're winding down here. We're getting to the end. He's going to talk about the central banks bringing stability uh, to the markets and the private sector bringing the innovation, folks. We're going to go one more segment. When I get back, we're going to finish this up. There's just a few minutes left. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. 